But I, dear friends, let's turn to the good word of God, shall we? And we're turning to uh, the book of Genesis, please. The book of Genesis, and we're turning to chapter 2. And verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth where they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now just for the sake of any that were not here last Sunday evening, may I briefly say that last Sunday we commenced a short series of messages on the names of God. And last Sunday evening, we were looking at the very first name that God revealed himself by in the book of Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 1, God revealed himself by the name of Elohim. Now in the English translation that you have, it simply says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And right through Genesis chapter 1, you have God over and over again, almost in every verse of the chapter. But we notice that the Hebrew word for God is the name of Elohim. And that what we were thinking of last Sunday evening, the great name of Elohim. And what a time we had thinking of that wonderful name of God. Now this evening we're going to continue our studies on the names of God and we're going to have a look at the second name that God revealed himself by. And we have it here in Genesis chapter 2. It says in verse 4, These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So we're introduced in chapter 2 to the next name, which is the name Lord. It's not a title, it is actually a name of God. Now you have in front of you, and I have in front of me, a translation from the original language, Hebrew into English, Greek into English. And in most of the English translations of the Bible, you will notice that the name Lord appears in capital letters. 
You'll find that in most uh, English translations. Capital letters, Lord, L-O-R-D. But we go back to the original language and we find that the name translated Lord in chapter 2 is actually the awesome name of Jehovah. So verse 4 could read, In the day that Jehovah Elohim made the earth and the heaven. And this is the second name that God has used to describe himself. First Elohim in chapter 1, now in chapter 2, the awesome name of Jehovah. And you have it 11 times in chapter 2, over and over and over again, the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God. But not only is it mentioned 11 times in chapter 2 of Genesis, you have it nearly 6,000 times in the Bible. 6,000 times you have this awesome name of God. Now here's something very interesting. There are at least four occasions in which it does appear as Jehovah and not as the Lord. Uh, you have it, for example, in Exodus 6, Psalm 83, Isaiah 12, Isaiah 26. And in those chapters, uh, it appears as Jehovah, not as Lord in capital letters. And I've often wondered why our translators did not just continue to use the, the name Jehovah instead of uh, translating it as uh, Lord. But of course, uh, I'm not a Hebrew scholar or a Greek scholar, so uh, we are in, we're greatly indebted to these men of ability of translating from the original into English. Now, this is one of the most awesome and one of the most tremendous and one of the most deep names of God. Now, when you were born and when I was born all those years ago, and for some of us it's gone back a long, long time, your parents gave you a name. And uh, there's every possibility, of course I could be wrong, that not much thought went into giving you your name and my name. Now, I could be mistaken, if that's so, I humbly apologise. But sometimes a little baby boy comes into the family and we say, well, I will call him after Uncle So-and-so. Lovely baby girl, we'll call her after an aunt. And sometimes not much thought goes into naming our offspring. But how different it is when you come to think of the names and titles of God. Why is that? For the simple reason, every name... And every title of God is a revelation, an insight, a manifestation of some of the perfections and the glory and the majesty of the amazing God we've just been singing about. So one way to get to know God is to get to know his names. Because when you get to know his names, you have a glorious insight 
to some of his wonderful and glorious perfections. And we approach this evening this awesome name of Jehovah. What does it mean? What does it convey to us of the greatness of God? Let me say three things this evening. We're going to see that the name Jehovah, it teaches us something. And then secondly, we're going to see it reminds us of something. And then thirdly, we're going to see it encourages us to get to know God in an intimate way. First of all then, the name teaches us that Jehovah is the ever-existing one. And immediately we are in deep water. Why is that? Because this is a concept of God that we find difficult to understand and to comprehend for a very simple reason. We are used to having beginnings. And when we think of someone who never had a beginning, then it blows our minds. Because we use the things beginning at a certain time and a certain date. And the name Jehovah reminds us and it teaches us that he is the ever-existing name. Ever-existing person. And the name Jehovah is a compound name. That is to say, it brings together certain facts. And in the name Jehovah, it brings together the three aspects of time. Now we divide time into the past, the present and the future. That's how we look at time. The past, the present, the future. And when you think of the name Jehovah, it brings together these three great aspects of time. Here is a literal meaning of the word or the name Jehovah. He that always was, that always is, and that ever is to come. That's what the name Jehovah Means. As you see immediately, it brings together the three aspects of time. He that always is, there's the present, and that ever was, there's the past, and that ever is to come, there's the future. But of course, you must remember, that's from our point of view, with God, there's not the past, there's not the future, because God dwells in the eternal present. But for us mortals, he has condescended to show to us his eternality, that he is the ever-existing one. Now, let me show you this. Don't take my word for it. Go to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. And look at verse 4. Revelation chapter 1 verse 4. 
John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace. Now notice this. From him which is, there's the present, and which was, there's the past, and which is to come, there's the future. Go down to verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. There it is clear as crystal, showing to us this awesome name of Jehovah, embracing the past, the present, and the future. Now, nip over to Deuteronomy chapter 33. Deuteronomy chapter 32, 33. And look at verse 27. You've heard this verse before. Deuteronomy 33, verse 27. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Notice the adjective describing the noun the eternal God now slip over to Psalm 90 to Psalm 90 now when you come to the book of Psalms please remember that David did not write all the Psalms we always associate the book of Psalms with David he wrote about 70 or 75 of them he did not write all of them. And when you come to Psalm 90, here is a psalm, not written by David, but written by Moses. And that means Psalm 90 is probably the oldest psalm in the Psalter. And here's what Moses said. It's actually a prayer. Verse 1. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, here's the part, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. What could be more clearer from those scriptures? That God is from everlasting to everlasting. There never was a time, if we could speak of time and eternity, in which God wasn't there. We go in the other direction, and there shall never come a time in which he will cease to be. He is eternal. He is from everlasting to everlasting. And when we think of the name God, remember, it reminds us, it teaches us uh, that he is the ever-existing one. Now, isn't that a tremendous truth this evening to try and grasp? And remember, we're talking about our Heavenly Father. We're talking about the one that we love and serve, your God, my God. And he has revealed himself as the one who embraces the past, the present, and the future. 
Here's a second thought this evening, dear friends. The name reminds us that Jehovah is the immutable one. Now, if we are tremendously captivated and with regard to his etanology, that God had no beginning and no end. Here's another thought that's going to challenge our thinking this evening when we think of his immutability. That is to say, he never changes. Uh, do we not find this concept difficult to, to get our minds round? Uh, there's a simple reason for that. We are living in continual change. And whether you like it or not, you are changing. And I'm changing. The world changes. Society changes. Very soon we're going to have a change of a prime minister. Churches change. And we are living in a changing age and generation. Therefore we find it difficult to think of someone who never changes. Who's not subject to change as we are and the world is. Here is what he says himself in Malachi chapter 3. I am Jehovah. I change not. You change. I change. The world changes. But the Lord says, I change not. Now, think of, the word, think of the word change for a few minutes. When you think of the word change, it can, it can mean one of two things. A change can be for the better, or a change can be for the worst. God cannot change for the better, for the simple reason he is already perfect. And being perfect, he could never change for the worst. I love the words of that old hymn. We say it sometimes. Change and decay all around I see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. Oh, I'm glad tonight, dear friends, that we have not only an eternal God, but someone who never changes. The same yesterday and today and forever. There are no wrinkles upon the brow of the eternal God. He is unchanged. You find him the same tomorrow as you found him today. And amidst the change, here is someone who never changes, who is eternally the same. So, the awesome name of Jehovah, it teaches us that he is the ever-existing one, and then it reminds us that he is the immutable one, not subject to change. And of course, is not the same with our wonderful Lord Jesus Hebrews 13, it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. He never changes. He is the eternal Savior.
we say, thirdly, that the name Jehovah, it encourages us that he can be known in a personal and intimate way. And I think that's absolutely tremendous tonight, dear friends. That this amazing God, this eternal God, this immutable God, can be known and can be brought, he can bring us into fellowship with him and we can get to know him and to love him and to, to serve him. You see, when the Bible speaks of uh, knowing and knowledge, it doesn't use those words the way we would use in the day of the 21st century. For example, you can go to a college for further education, you can go to university, and during that time, what happens, you accumulate a, a great source of knowledge. It's academic knowledge, it's theoretical knowledge, and then you come out with a, a degree, and if you're very educated, very intelligent, perhaps eventually a PhD. And that knowledge is academic, it is theoretical but when the Bible speaks of knowledge, it's not speaking of that sort of knowledge, primarily. It is speaking of a knowledge that is experientially. You see, there's a difference between knowing about things, or about knowing about a person, and knowing the person. For example, we know about uh, the present Prime Minister David Cameron lives in Downing Street we know about him but you don't know him has he ever invited you for tea attend Downing Street? Of course he hasn't you know about him but you don't know him you know about the Queen she lives in Buckingham Palace has she ever invited you to one of our garden parties? Of course she hasn't you know about her but you don't know her. And here's how the Lord Jesus defined eternal life in his great prayer of John chapter 17. And this is what he says. And this is life eternal. What is? That they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Knowing him personally, intimately, closely. Enjoying fellowship with him. Drawing near to him and then he draws near to you. And when we turn to especially the Old Testament we find that over and over again God has revealed himself to men in the Old Testament by this awesome name of Jehovah. Take for example Abraham. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 22? He was about to offer Isaac on the altar in Mount Moriah. But at that precise moment God intervened and said, Do the lad no harm. And then Abraham saw a ram caught in the thicket and offered him instead to offer his son Isaac. He called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. 
the Lord will see or provide. You see, he got to know God in that incident because of God's provision and he called it Jehovah Jireh. And dear Christian, this evening, look back upon your lives. Can you not say those words yourself? Has the Lord not provided for you and for me over the years? Physically, spiritually, mentally, financially. He has indeed been Jehovah Jireh. The Lord has provided. And what a God he is providing for our every need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And then take, for example, Moses. He came to know the Lord by Jehovah Nissi, which is the Lord by Bonner. Israelites in conflict with the Amalekites, and they got the victory over them. And Moses called that place Jehovah Nissi. The Lord by Bonner. And we must not forget, dear Christian, that we find ourselves in a conflict. But we're on the victory side. We might lose a few battles along the way, but victory is secure at the end. For the Bible says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nissi, and then of course Gideon. He came to know the Lord by Jehovah Shalom. The Lord send peace. And then who doesn't this evening know about Psalm 23? You Scottish folks, you know Psalm 23. How does it begin? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Actually it is Jehovah Ruai. Jehovah Ruai. The Lord by shepherds. You see the thought? God revealed himself in different ways. By this wonderful, this awesome name of Jehovah. And of course, there's the great danger with Christians, and I include myself tonight, of just being content with getting to know the great doctrines of the Bible and the great teaching of the Bible. And that's very important. And that is what we're doing this evening. We're getting to know these great doctrines and these great teachings. But sad to say, many of God's people they stop there. And how sad that is. They stop there. Have you ever sung that lovely hymn? Break thou the bread of life, dear Lord, to me. Lovely hymn to sing. I think it is the third verse. And here's what the hymn writer says. Beyond the sacred page. I seek thee, Lord. My spirit pants for thee, O living words. That's it. Beyond the sacred page. You see, the Bible and the teachings and the doctrine are a means to an end. Not the end in itself. Don't stop at doctrine. Don't stop at teachings. Go beyond the doctrine. Go beyond the teaching. 
And that's what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and reveals the glory of God. And that is what we should be doing. As we read the Scriptures, we've got this great desire to know the God of the Scriptures. And we get beyond the Scriptures. And we see the greatness of God. Do you remember what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3? Here's what he says. Listen very carefully. Right in that little church at Philippi that was very dear to him. And here's what he says. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death and we said hey, wait a minute Paul, wait a minute what are you talking about that I may know him for the simple reason when Paul wrote those words to the church at Philippi he's been a Christian for 30 years 30 years has come and gone since that wonderful conversion on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 recorded by Dr. Luke 30 years have come and gone and wouldn't you have thought that in those 30 years that Paul would have known everything there was to know about the Lord now that may apply to a mere mortal but not to the Lord and that is why after 30 years this is still his passion, his longing, his desire that I may know him. Now he didn't say that we may know him. He could only speak for himself. And dear brother and sister, you can only speak for yourself. You can't speak for your wife. You can't speak for your husband. You can't be quick to speak for the one sitting beside you or behind you or in front of you you can only speak for yourself as if to say Paul as far as I'm concerned this is my desire this is my longing this is my passion that I may know him not know about him that I may know him and isn't that tremendous friends that after 30 years there are heights he's never scaled there are depths he's never plumbed and there's length and there's breadth and there's depth and height that he's never come across and let me say something and this will fill your very soul even in eternity with your glorified body and glorified faculties you are never, 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 never going to come to the end of knowing the greatness of God how can you you're finite God's infinite and think of that what's your conception of heaven the pearly gates the jasper walls the golden streets pearly gates, wonderful here is a wonderful conception of God of heaven that we're going to 
get to know him and know him and know him and know him for the countless ages of eternity and it's never going to come to an end we'll get to one vista and then we shall discover another vista we'll get to that vista and then we'll discover another one and as old John Newton put it in his great hymn Amazing Grace the last verse when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, with no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. Let me take another step. At this moment in time, we, by faith, see him. These eyes of ours have never seen him. But we're going to see him, not just spiritually as today, but we're going to see him with our physical eyes, in our glorified bodies. Don't take my word for it. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Is that amazing? Absolutely amazing. We are going to see him. In all his majesty. Not just for a few seconds. But for the countless ages of eternity. We'll be able to see him. And survey him. In all his majesty. And in all his glory. But let me take another step. And I'm always blessed when I go to 1 John chapter 3, that lovely epistle written by John, the aged disciple. And when he wrote 1 John chapter 3, he's an old man, and he's in his 90s, living at Ephesus, and he takes up his pen, and he uses the word behold only once in his first epistle, just on one occasion. And that's in 1 John chapter 3. And here's what he says. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Listen to this. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. I have to confess in many ways I am unlike him you are probably the same confession dear friends but isn't that wonderful prospect hope that one day we shall not only see him but we shall be like him every trace of sin will be removed and we shall be absolutely sinless and perfect in body soul and spirit to me it is very sad that many of God's people do not realize what they've been saved for. Now let me test this meeting tonight. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but let me ask you this question. Dear brother and sister, do you realize, do you know why God has saved you if you're a Christian this evening? 
Would you stand up and say, Stanley, yes, I can tell you why God has saved me. Many of God's people can't do that. Oh, yes, they say, when I, I, I've been saved from a lost eternity. I've been saved from hell. That's wonderful, but that's negative. They don't know why they have been saved. The purpose. And you've got to go to Romans chapter 8 for that. And again, we're into deep water in Romans chapter 8. <laughs> it speaks of uh, predestination, speaks of foreknowledge, speaks of election. And some preachers don't touch upon those subjects. They're, they're too deep. But dear friends, they're in the Bible. They're in the Bible, friends. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul gives us the reason why God has saved us. That ultimately we shall be conformed to the image of his son. What a prospect. Conformed to the image of his son. And if I could say reverently, we shall be replicas of the Lord. Because as the father looked at his son Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, what did he say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And eventually all of us were going to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the reason why God saved you. Not just to save you from a lost eternity but to eventually bring you and present you blameless and spotless conformed to the image of his beloved son. What a saviour we have this evening. What a hope, what a prospect. Now I must say this, when the Bible uses hope, it doesn't use it the way we use it today. Now, I have three sons, and when they were growing up, they used to come to me, and they would ask you for things. And I would say, when I, you've got two hopes, Bob Hope and no hope, <laughs> of getting what you've asked for. You see, we use hope today as something that may happen, but it may not happen. It's vague, and it's nebulous. But when the Bible uses the word hope... It's not in the sense of something that may happen, but they're going to may not happen. It is used in the sense of certainty. It will happen. It's definite it's going to happen, this wonderful hope that the Christian has. It's not pie in the sky when you die. It is a glorious hope that one day it will become a blessed and glorious reality. So let me just bring this message this evening to an end, dear friends. This wonderful name of Jehovah. The second name that God uses to describe himself in the book of Genesis. Elohim in chapter 1. Jehovah in chapter 2. Jehovah Elohim. The ever-existing one, the immutable one, and the one that we can get to know personally, intimately. So that, uh, this is something amazing, so that, 
we can address him as Abba. Now, if you were a Jewish child in a Jewish family, that is the first word you would be taught to say. Abba. Abba. Easily pronounced Abba. And it simply means Dad. Father. In a Jewish family. And because we're Christians this evening, God has put his Holy Spirit in our lives and we can address him as Abba. Father, but we must be very careful. Yes, we must use that in reverence. And it's always used in the sense of reverence. Abba, Father. We are his children. And isn't it wonderful that you can get alone with him and you can talk with him? You can make all your cares all your problems, all your worries. And you can do what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5. Here's what Peter says. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Sometimes I test my congregations from time to time. I give them a wee, a wee lesson in logic. And here's what I say when I tell me, that, my dear friends, if you cast all your cares upon Him, now how many cares have you got left? <laughs> and you want to see the faces of some of the congregations? Because there are some Christians, sad to say, they worry if they've got nothing to worry about. <laughs> Always like to keep something in reserve. But Peter says, casting not some of your cares, not most of your cares, not many of your cares, but casting all your cares upon him. For he careth for you. Are you saying, Stanley, get real? What planet are you living on? Well, dear friends, it's not my words. Don't blame me. It's what, it's what the Bible teaches. And God means what he says. And says what he means. Are you going to call him a liar? Cast it all your care upon it. Tell you what. Put it to the test. Put it to the test. Now sometimes dear friends. We sing a lot of lies in church. Have you ever noticed that? Oh you say. Is that right? Oh yes. How many times have you sat up. You stood up. And you've sung Joseph Scriven's great hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God. But tell me, do you carry everything to God in prayer? Of course you don't. You're second lies. Friends, it works. It works. Bring Paul into the equation. Here's what Paul says. Philippians 4. Be careful for nothing. But in everything. By prayer and supplication. With giving of thanks. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God. Which passeth all understanding. Shall keep guard. Over your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus. Be careful for nothing. Let me conclude 
Back to Romans 8. Now, I have no hesitation in saying tonight, dear friends, if the Apostle Paul was alive today in the 21st century, he could have been a university professor. Such was his intellect. It was tremendous. And when you read the book of Romans, follow the intellect of Paul. Follow the logic in his great epistle. And that's the greatest of all his epistles. Follow the logic. Let me give you an example. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Now do you see the logic? Don't rush over it. Here's the logic. If God has not withheld the greater, he will not withhold the lesser. Isn't that wonderful? That, that deserves a hallelujah. That deserves an amen. You see the logic. He, if he didn't withhold the greater, if he's given us his own son, and he couldn't give us anything greater or better than giving his own son, then how much more shall he give us the lesser? Uh, sometimes over the years people have asked me uh, who do you work for mm-hmm. and sometimes I try to I say well I I work for a great company and they say well, what company is that I work for the company Jehovah and Son Unlimited <laughs> <laughs> oh they say well, we've heard of John Brown Limited but we've never heard of that company. Oh yes. Never goes into liquidation. Never goes into bankruptcy. Never fails. Jehovah and Son on the minutes. Oh, hallelujah. Have you ever noticed what Paul says? What's the time? That you're not in a hurry, she's not. We've got another cup of tea, but we'd like to continue. Yes, let me just clue to this. Romans, uh, no, Philippians 4. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. <coughs> now stop at that verse. It does not say out of his riches, according to his riches. And I like to illustrate this, and I'm going to use Tommy as, a, 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 you don't mind Tommy, I'm going to use it as an illustration. Let's pretend, and of course this could be true, that I, Tommy's a millionaire. His wife doesn't know it, we don't know it, but Tommy, he's a millionaire. He's a multi-millionaire. And this poor preacher goes to Tommy, and I say, Tommy, come here a minute, we word with you. Tommy, I, I'm having a wee bit of difficulty. I wonder, could you help me? Oh, he says, Stanley, no problem. No problem. No problem, he says. And then out comes the checkbook. Out comes the pen. And he says, I've got to help you. And my heart's beating. Ten to a dozen. And Tommy writes the check out. Pay to Stanley Shaw the sum of five pounds. Five pounds. Five pounds. And he's a multi-millionaire. And he gives me a measly five pounds. 
Well, I, I, another few months go by and I go again to Tammy. I say, Tammy, still having a bit difficult. I wonder, could you help me? And Stanley said, no problem. Out comes the checkbook again. Out comes the pen. And this time, I wonder it's going to be £5.10. <laughs> it could be £10. It could be £20. And when I look at the cheque, I almost have a heart attack. Because it says pay to the sum, pay to the, to Stanley Shaw, the sum of £150,000. I, when Tommy gave me a cheque for £5, he gave me out of his riches. But when he gave me a cheque for 150000 he gave me according to his riches. See the difference? Paul says, my God shall supply all you need, not out of, but according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Thank you, dear friends, for listening so patient this evening. And go home tonight to read about this wonderful, awesome name of Jehovah.